Great. Great, if you've got that passage open, we'll start. So there are demands on, uh, on everything in life today. Um, and no matter how many people tell you it can be done, it's, it's unrealistic really, isn't it, to expect to do everything in life. Um, so, we, so we find ways to simplify things. We do what we consider is most important, what is, what is most worth. So I don't know if you've ever heard these kind of phrases. Whatever happens, make sure today that you take out the bins. Whatever happens, don't forget your doctor's appointment. <laughs> Whatever happens, get me that report. You know, these are kind of things we, we say often, don't we, in our day, because we prioritise them, they're important. As we're looking at Philippians today, we see Paul's, it's the first instruction that he gives in the letter to the people. And Paul is saying here that if you're a Christian, uh, there's no competition as to what's most important. So whatever happens, make sure you live, your, live lives worthy of the gospel. Um, so you remember, we've got to remember what's going on and who Paul's talking to in this letter. So the Philippians, they were a bunch of people who were really privileged. Okay? They, were, they were a Roman colony. Uh, which automatically meant they had better rights than everyone living around them. Um, no one would dare touch them, no one would dare try and invade or beat them up without thinking that they'd have to fight the dreaded Roman army. It was the world's superpower. Uh, these Philippians knew how to live uh, worthy of something. Okay? And they were proud of what they received. Not that they had earned this privilege, they were just born in that area and they had it. You know, they're the kind of people who show off about where they're from. You know, you know the kind of people where you meet them for the first time, it doesn't take long for them to slip into the conversation that they're from Philippi. You know, it's kind of, that's what it'd be like. And so Paul has this image in his mind as he's talking to them. And, and verse 27, it can be translated like this, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. See, Paul knows automatically that there's a bigger citizenship that they don't deserve but have by grace. And that's important. It's important that we get it. It's by grace. Because it means not to live for it is ludicrous. It's this gift. It's what's so different about it. God gave us and them a status that our actions don't deserve. Okay. This, is, this is why Paul is urging them to live in a way that shows uh, the worth of the gospel. See, when I first read this passage, for a long time I was reading it. I heard this. I heard, make sure you're worthy of the gospel. Make sure you do enough things, make sure you're good enough day to day that you're worth the gospel. But that, that's not what Paul's getting at here. He's saying this. He's saying it's about making sure your life reflects the worth of the gospel. And it's, it's important to, to get that distinction uh, because otherwise it will leave you in a, in a lot of trouble. So, so Paul knows that to live as citizens of heaven, as, as worthy of the gospel, will mean not taking up the, the full opportunities for these Philippians. It will mean uh, they won't be able to swear complete allegiance to Caesar, that their friends might look at them as a bit weird. You know, they've gone after this Christian thing. What's it all about? See, Paul, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's putting his finger on something that would be an obvious priority clash for the Philippians. And for him, he's saying there's, there's no contest. So, so let me give you an example. I, I really recently got engaged to Emma. Um, and because of that, I should have uh, acted in an appropriate way, shouldn't I? If you, if you heard that I'd, uh, you know, I've got a profile on the latest dating website, what, what would you think? That's weird, isn't it? It doesn't make sense for me now that I've got engaged to Emma. So, you know, uh, get all dressed up, spray on some links, go down to town, try and chat some women. It just doesn't make sense, does it? If I, if I think Emma's worth it, that I've got engaged to her, there's no reason to do that. 
And it's not just that. I think being engaged to Emma, it, it wouldn't be much of a priority. It wouldn't show that I, I value her if I didn't, never took the time to see her or to, uh, or to speak to her over the phone. And so, one, one time uh, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in, fr- in front of Match of the Day, and the phone starts ringing. Of course, it's Emma. Uh, I haven't spoken to her in a while. You know, it's important things we probably need to discuss. Uh, she, she probably thinks, you know, West Ham relegated. There's no need for Mark won't be watching Match of the Day anymore. You know, they're not on it. Well, she was wrong. <laughs> I was there enjoying Match of the Day. The phone rings twice, and then the third time, I take that awful decision and put the pillow over it. Just, just block it out of my mind. The gas. <laughs> I'm a bad person. <laughs> yeah, you see, what, what I've done, I'd avoided the priority of Emma for the momentary joy of seeing Everton beat Aston Villa. It's very fleeting. <laughs> um, you see, your priorities, what you see is worthy. It, it has an effect on your life. And if I was always to prioritise match the day over Emma, uh, I'd have a great knowledge of the premiership maybe, but the person I'm trying to live with and spend a lot of time with, we'd have difficulties. Um, but how do I change this? How do, how, do, how do I change this kind of attitude? Do I look at myself and say, come on, I've got to try harder. I've got to man up. No, it won't work. It just won't work that way. What I have to do is I have to think about and remember Emma, and remember that I love her, remember that she's worth talking to, spending time with. Um, and, that, and that's the way I think Paul uh, addresses the situation. You see, Paul, in this letter, you find you can rejoice in all situations. You can look forward to more hard labour and suffering in this life because he knows that it's not his actions and his deeds he looks to. Um, you, can see, uh, conduct, you can see conduct his life is worthy of the gospel because he's focused on Christ. You see, the way that you have a life worth worthy of the gospel is by constantly reminding yourself of it. It's, it's not by doing things necessarily. It's not a doing things thing. Is it? See, you can't just say, oh, I helped three people in distress today. Uh, I was kind to that person who said nasty things about me. You know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all right. No, it's because Paul had remembered, like last week, that Christ, for, for Christ to live was us. For Christ to live was doing all he could for our ultimate good. He came to die so that God could delight in us not punish us as our actions deserve. See, he, because, of, because Paul focuses on that, that's why he can go on living. He can go on living in that way. And so don't get him wrong at the start. Don't get Paul wrong here. He's not an overbearing parent or teacher who's just demanding behavior results of people. He just wants the Philippians to focus on what they know, on what Jesus has done for them. Um, see, Paul urges that this priority was, not, was for their whole life in all your life. It's not whatever happens, make sure you make some time in the day just to say a quick prayer. You know, conducting yourselves here, it's not restricted to a single life situation. It's for every situation. And Paul doesn't leave the Philippians wondering how they should do that, how they can honour the people, how they can honour the gospel even. And here, just, just quickly, three points that I've got from the following verses. Okay. Oh, I've got a slide, yeah. That'd be great. So here it is. So be together. First one. Verse 27, like it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. See, the gospel is something powerful, and it, it brings people together. Uh, and to be a group that is arguing, to be a group that's divided, 
uh, is actually effectively to deny the gospel. It's to say that this gospel is nothing. See, see think about the first converts that, uh, to Christianity in Philippi. If you go back to these Philippians, there are a bunch of people brought together. And you can go read about it in Acts later, but you had here, you had a rich woman who, you know, she was an industry woman in, in class. She was really rich. And she was coming together with a poor slave girl who'd known nothing but slavery her whole life and a hard life. And then you brought together again this tough Gentile soldier who Paul met in the prison. And these people, so different, were brought together as a community, as a family. See, see what, is powerful to bring, what is powerful enough to bring them together is it can only be the message of Jesus. Uh, and as they stood there, uh, they were displaying for everyone else that this gospel was working and that it was powerful for them. See, in Speak, I've yet to come across a group uh, of people as diverse in age and ethnicity as our church. I've, ne- I've never, you know, I've not seen a group of any of the council stuff, anything. And why is that? It's because we have the most powerful message and most important message to speak in here. You see, people get together, sure. So, for instance, world leaders are meeting at the moment, aren't they, about the financial crisis. That's brought them all together, right? Money's brought them together. But as soon as uh, one of them hears, you know, or thinks their money's going to be jeopardised, they'll leave. It'll break up. Nothing will get done. Or or take a sports team. They can have lots of different people, can't they? People from different backgrounds, different interests, different views on certain interests. And off off the pitch, they might not really spend much time together. But when they get on the pitch, when they have a common aim, when they know what they're aiming for, they all work together. But but get what Paul's saying here. It's not just the aim. It's just the fact that they're together themselves. And the fact that they're sticking together is showing off the gospel to people. It's modelling. So does it matter how we get on with each other at church? Yes. Because Paul said it's one of the ways we stand for the gospel and we show it off. So the second point, be courageous. So be together, be courageous. In what way are we to stand together? Verse 28 goes on and says, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And the Philippians had seen what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi. And you can read it again in Acts. He was hounded by a crowd. Uh, He was stripped. He was severely flogged. And he was thrown into jail. By sharing, with the gospel, by sharing the gospel with the young slave girl, he threatened the priorities of her master, that his income, and that had caused it all to start. You see, the gospel causes suffering for those who talk about it, because it, challenge, it challenges the heart, the foundation, the object of what people worship. And Paul suffered this, and yet he could still say, do this without being frightened. That's quite a, quite a big thing to say, isn't it? It's quite scary to stand for the gospel in your workplace, with your family the people you know and your neighbours. And I think it's because there's nothing here in opposition that can rob the most precious thing for Paul. So remember for him to live as Christ and die as gain. We read that last week. And what is there that a man can do that will shape that ultimately? There's nothing that they can bring to him that will shape that confidence he has. When can you say a line that's holding you back from talking to people about Jesus? They think you're old-fashioned, maybe, when you talk about Jesus. They think you're crazy or boring. Uh, But the king of the universe delights in you. And he thinks of you as an adopted son or daughter. The king of the universe. Does it really compare? Does it really compare to what people can bring? See, one of the major problems I struggle with at times is is something that the devil uses, I think, a lot. It definitely puts in my mind. He says this thought. He says, oh, it only works in church. This God stuff only works in church. 
Um, it's fine to believe all that stuff for a few hours, you know, just sing a few songs, be nice to a few people, but you know, afterwards, after you leave church, it's, it's rubbish. Maybe for a few, for a bit on a Thursday night when you meet with them, but you know, it doesn't really work, you know. And it's a really numbing thought. It, it paralyzes me sometimes, but it's also complete rubbish. <laughs> See, to live for Christ not only works everywhere. It's the only way in which we can have life in all situations, have fullness everywhere we go. Um, for some people, the gospel will always cause anger and aggression. And you can see this as it, as it continues in the verse. See, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Um, <clears throat> see, this is because there's, there's no halfway house, there's no sitting on the fence when it comes to the gospel. Uh, you either face the consequence of your own sin by yourself, or you, you experience this grace, you joyously thank Jesus for the life he has given to you by his death. That, that's the two options, that's the only ways. Uh, speaking and living the gospel is a sign to people that they, they will be destroyed, that after this short life is done they will face the creator and have to give an account for their life. Um, there are going to be some people who see the evidence of Christians standing together and for them, this is a big neon sign. This is a massive sign saying, look, God exists. God is here. And you're in peril without him. Uh, the writing is the, on the wall for those people. Uh, and it's important to remember that these are the people that, that God loves, that Christ loves. And that Christ was forsaken so that none may be. Uh, and it's only those who have willingly decided to reject God who is destined for this, destined for that destruction. Anyway, the third, third point, be trusting. So be together, be courageous, and be trusting. As the verses go on, it says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Um, <coughs> suffering isn't necessarily an easy topic to talk about. And it can be hard to trust God, can't it? When all your senses are telling you around you that suffering must be an indicator, something's wrong, something's up. Uh, some people uh, believe that to know God is a, is a protection against all trials of life. Uh, it's some kind of form of cosmic insurance. But it's not, it's not long to see that it, that doesn't work, that that's not true. Um, I think the key question is, are you willing to trust that God will use the outcome of your trials for good? And we see two examples, and I think Paul always talks about two examples. First in himself, and then in Jesus. Um, and it's important as well to, to look at specifically what kind of suffering this passage is talking about. Uh, Paul is talking about Philippians going through the same struggle or conflict that he had, and indeed still has, verse 30. It's, it's more about the suffering because of attempting to, to live a life worthy for the gospel. To face the suffering and persecution of being a Christian. See, already we've mentioned that Paul has been through what he went through in Philippi. Um, so, as we look at this in a bit more detail, maybe, just put aside for a second the questions of earthquakes, of cancer, and things like that. Important as they may be, we, you know, this passage today isn't directly addressing it. So, I'm not really a big fan of uh, being granted to suffer. I'm not necessarily the first person to put my hand up and say, yes, please. Um, but why is it that Paul can always rejoice in this? Is he insane? Is he a crazy man? You have to ask the question. Um, no. See, he knows that if he suffers when he lives and speaks for the gospel, 
it means he's got it right. For it's what has happened to Jesus. It's what happened when Jesus, when he preached. It's a, it's a mark of a follower of Jesus. See, if he got it right, it means that he's understood that his, his is the faith that makes him one with the creator of life. That those who have trusted his message are saved, secure the work of Jesus on the cross. So, so let me clarify. Paul isn't someone who, who looks for trouble. He isn't someone who looks for a prison sentence. He's, he's not like that. But he knows that suffering will occur as he talks to people of the gospel. He knows that that's just, it's, it's an inevitability of it. Because what the gospel is about, it's, a, it's challenging again, life and death. Um, but this suffering, let me try and put an example. In the, in the old war films, I don't know if you've ever watched them, what are the kind of characters that you make your heroes? Uh, so for, for me, it's always the ones that go out and are fighting. It's always the ones who, are, you know, who take a few hits, who suffer. It's, it's not the ones who are cowards. It's not the ones who, who collaborate with the enemy, who stay at home. And, and this is what I think is going on here. Jesus said there's a spiritual battle going on at all times. And if you side with him, then you'll suffer for it. Um, and Jesus gave the illustration that whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross and follow me daily. See, you see, our faith will remain flimsy and weak if we never suffer for it. If we never have a test in that way. <coughs> and again, so we've seen Paul's example of suffering. I think the biggest is, is obviously the best is Jesus who before he died and he felt the pain he felt the burden of what was about to happen and he asked the father if you're willing take this cup away from me but not my will but yours you see it's impossible to say Jesus never felt the, the hard situation that he was in he, was very, he very much felt it but he was trusting God in him see he's the model of someone who trusts God in the midst of his suffering um, that when his situation looked the bleakest, the darkest, the worst on that cross, uh, actually, God was using it to save the world. Um, and many people throughout history have suffered for being a Christian and still do today. I mean, I was just looking on the internet the other day, and on Thursday, there was people uh, who was be- someone was beheaded for being a Christian in Somalia. Uh, it's a daily occurrence for Christians to face this ugly suffering. But, w- but what about us? I mean, luckily we're maybe not at that stage yet of suffering, uh, being beheaded. But you don't have to live here and speak for long to realise that although it's a bigger state, we live in a, a small community. People know each other, know what we get up to. Um, are, you be, are you willing to be known as the Bible basher? Uh, someone I knew was wearing a hoodie and they're just walking past a group of people and he heard him, you know, shout out to him, you're Bible basher. Are you, be, are you willing to be known as that kind of person around here? The weirdo. Are you willing for friends you previously had to kind of treat you with suspicion and even fade you out because you're always talking about God? You're always talking about this gospel. You're living life directed by the gospel. See, how will we react if uh, people think that actually what we're doing with the Noahs is not just a waste of time, but it's actively bad? That it's not good for the community, it's bad. That actually the good you think you're doing is actually evil because it's motivated by this gospel, this divisive gospel. That actually all we're doing is causing a nuisance for the neighbours. Just another, another place where young people can go and hang out and harm each other and get up to mischief. How are you going to react? Um, how are you going to react when someone maybe says you're manipulating kids that speak kids, telling them that there's only one way to heaven? Are you prepared to be accused of this? You know, will we defend what we do and why we do it? Will we say it's because of what God has done for us? Uh, or will we just shrink back to be kind of a place that does good fun days and serves cheap food at the nose. Um, 
Yeah, so these are things that I want to leave you with. And Paul wrote these verses to encourage Philippian brothers and sisters. He, he wrote them to urge them to base their life on Christ and what Christ had done for them. And so today, just you know, 2,000 years later, we need to wake up each morning and remember that whatever happens, we want to live lives that show the worth of the gospel. We want to show the worth of the gospel. To be together around the gospel. To be courageous in the face of opposition. And be trusting when we suffer. Let me just pray. Father, thank you so much uh, that the gospel is worthy. That it is amazing news. That we don't do anything to deserve it. That it is all by your grace. Um, But the fact that we can enjoy it. The fact that we can gain a relationship with you. Uh, through what Jesus has done on the cross. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we would uh, want to live lives that show the worth of what, that, what the gospel is. Help us uh, to be united, to stand together for you. Help us uh, to be courageous in the face of opposition. Help us not be scared of, um, of persecution, of suffering. Lord, but help us know that it um, shows that we have a true faith. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.